Hi, this is James Rousseau. Welcome to another episode of The Coiling Solution, where we empower you through actionable insights. On this episode, I welcome Andy Kramer and Al Harris. Andy is a partner in the international law firm, which was just listed as one of the 10 best big law firms for female attorneys. Andy's extensive research, astute observations, and pragmatic voice have made her a nationally recognized advocate for women's advancements and an authority on gender communication. Among her many recognitions, Andy was named one of the 50 most influential women lawyers in America by the National Law Journal for her demonstrated power to change the legal landscape, shape public affairs, launch industries, and do big things. Al was a founder of the Chicago law firm of Ungarity and Harris, where he served for many years as managing partner and then as a member of its executive and compensation committees. In these roles, he had an extensive experience watching and evaluating women as they move up the career ladder. Over the course of his career, Al has grown increasingly concerned about the barriers and biases women face in traditionally male career environments. Because of these concerns, Al has mentored and advised women in many career fields. You've probably noticed I've said female or women a few times already, and that is because on today's episode, we're going to leverage their expertise in helping women in their careers as we dive into their book, Breaking Through Bias, Communication Techniques for Women to Succeed at Work. Please join me in welcoming Andy and Al to The Coiling Solution. Andy and Al, so good to finally have you on The Coiling Solution. How are you doing today? We're great. Glad, yeah. glad to, uh, glad to be on with you. How are and, things in uh, Chicago? Well, it's a beautiful day here. It was uh, pretty stormy yesterday, but the air and water show went on as planned, and today is perfect. Yeah, I got I got out of there Friday. I think right as things were starting to gear up for that show, and I heard it was going to be uh, pretty exciting, but also pretty crowded in terms of traffic and such. So, <laughs> absolutely, it sure was. So I have mixed feelings. So again, thank you guys for being here. I so enjoy reading your book. I think what you bring to this discussion is really important. As you know, we've been through our podcast really working to help give people insights that they can use and improve their careers, whether they're early in their journey and don't know what they're, they've signed up for yet, right? Coming out of college, et cetera, uh, or whether they've been at it for a while and trying to figure out how to break through different things. And I think what you uh, highlight is really, really important. So maybe before we jump into the book, tell me a little bit, tell folks a little bit, I, I gave some of the intro, but maybe just share a few minutes about both of your journeys. Well, for me, when I was uh, 10, 11, or 12 years old, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. And my parents only knew one lawyer and asked him if he would meet with me to have lunch and career counsel me. And when I had lunch with him, he spent the entire time talking about why I did not want to be a lawyer, because no one would like me, that no one liked lady lawyers, that I would be friendless, that I would never be married, I'd never have a family. And lady lawyers, that was not a career for me. Well, obviously, I didn't follow his advice, and uh, I did that anyway. But he did touch on some of the issues that women still face today because we're expected to be nice and kind and sweet. Then there's the stereotype that if we behave outside of that, then there's something wrong with us, and that would make us unlikable, unlovable. And, you know, people wouldn't want to be associated with us. Mm -hmm. How about you, Al? Well, my career was really obstacle-free in a surprising way. I thought that and was convinced that 
if people just worked hard and applied themselves, career success was a breeze. And for me, I had a very successful career. I founded a law firm and we were convinced, uh, my partners and I, that we were going to create the perfect meritocracy. We were going to create a place where it didn't matter if you were uh, green or blue or white or black, you were going to get ahead. And after about 30, 40 years, I looked around and I said, where are the women? Hmm. Why aren't there women at the top of this place the way they, we thought there would be? And that's when I woke up and realized that it wasn't as easy for everyone else, that there were obstacles that I hadn't encountered, but that the women uh, that we thought could make it to the top were encountering. And I had to figure out what that was, why that was happening, and what we could do about it. And that's when I started to focus on these issues, and Andy and I started writing and speaking together about how women can get ahead and why they are having trouble doing so. Yeah, that's huge. You mentioned something there, the perfect meritocracy, right? And as you were seeking that out, I'm just curious, what was your mindset in terms of what the perfect meritocracy might have even looked like? Well, the perfect meritocracy was one in which everyone got assignments that were appropriate to their skill level, Mm -hmm. that everyone was evaluated not based on their personality or idiosyncratic characteristics, but based on their accomplishments, their potential, that everyone was promoted in accordance with the qualities that they had demonstrated. A meritocracy, in my mind, was a place where there was no discrimination based on characteristics other than the quality of the work performed. And that's what I found was, I don't want to overstate it, but in many ways, that's a mythological place. That's a place that is probably never going to exist. And what we have to understand is, why not? Why are there these unconscious, implicit biases? Why do we all operate with stereotypes that operate to get in the way of that fairness? Right. So so you start out with this perspective of you know management and watching it in your workplace and what you desire to see. Andy, you start from perspective of being on a team and even such a, uh, I guess, a cold warning <laughs> from, <laughs> right, warning not to go into it, right? And you guys then begin a collaborative journey, it sounds like, right? Absolutely. In fact, when I got out of law school, I started at a tiny little law firm, which was the then Ailes Law Firm. And um, I found the experience there that they couldn't have cared if you were purple polka dotted. If you did a good job, everybody wanted you on their projects. But it was a tiny firm. And even though it grew by the time I left to 125 lawyers, um, my experience there had been without any bias. And when I showed up at my um, uh, at a larger firm, a huge firm, where stereotypes become ways that people train determine and translate and in, interact with you immediately. It was, who is she? 
What is she doing with the fancy corner office? Right, Why right. is she a partner? What's this about? Um, because the expectation was that if I was going to be doing that kind of work, then I had to be a nasty, evil, um, bad person. Right. Otherwise, how could I have possibly made it? And so I started to see those sorts of issues. And it, was, it wasn't until my participated, I served on our management committee and also on our compensation committee. And it wasn't until the compensation committee where it was so clear to me that the women would describe in their self-evaluations their accomplishments by talking about the team that they were on. And they worked with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And the men would write evaluations. I am a total rock star. I chain, I climbed to the top of the tallest building in the city and I circled around and I rescued all the damsels in distress on the way down because I am so cool right. and I'm so great. And I saved the client half a billion dollars and you owe me a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And who do you think makes more money in that situation? Right. Absolutely. And, yeah, absolutely. So I started, my very first thing I did was uh, a piece about breaking, basically breaking through the stereotypes and the modesty feeling that women need to be modest to give them some points about best practices and writing self-evaluations. And that was really where my journey, my public journey started. Got it. Now, when you guys approached the book, you know, one of the things I loved about the book is the balance between the data and the stories, right? It's, it's so well balanced. And I think, you you know, you lead in with a lot of data to help get you grounded. And then you start weaving in these stories. What were some of the uh, the data points that really shocked you as you guys started the research? Well, I don't know about shock because I think we both came at it recognizing that there was uh, some tough stuff going on. But one of the things that I think was the biggest surprise to us was the recognition that women had really taken off in career advancement in the middle 70s and that they continued to ascend, whether in the business world or the professional world, up through the mid 90s. Mm -hmm. But by the mid 90s, things had stalled. And what we found was that since about 1995, there's been virtually no progress in terms of women getting into senior corporate management. There's been no progress in terms of women becoming uh, equity partners, the most senior partners in law firms, in becoming uh, academic deans, in becoming medical professionals in the traditionally male fields like uh, surgery. surgery. Uh, And so I think what we found that we really had to confront was something had changed from the 70s and 80s into the 21st century. Something was making it much harder now for women than it was at the beginning of the women's uh, modern women's movement. And did you find these issues were more pervasive in some industries versus others or certain geographies versus others, or generally speaking, on average, all things being equal, pretty similar across the board? It's really similar across the board, because even if we look at professions where women uh, predominate, um, uh, uh, 
primary school teachers or nurses. What we find is that at the top levels of those careers, the principals historically have been men Mm -hmm. at the schools. And male nurses can have a very tough time because they're acting out out of the expected stereotypes for men. But yet, very often, the most senior nurses and the nursing supervisors can be the male nurses. Well, Andy's absolutely right. The problems are across the board. But um, we also found that there is enormous gender segregation among professions. Women engineers are only are less than 20% of engineers. Women in computer science are very small percentage. Architects. Architects. So that in certain professions, it isn't just that women aren't getting to the top. It's that women aren't getting into the professions. Mm. And they are, when they do, they're finding it very, very difficult. I think Silicon Valley here in the United States is a perfect example of a place that is very toxic for women and women are fleeing it rather than scurrying towards it. Got it. You know, for me, that's really why I mentioned the story about the career advice I got as a young girl about wanting to be a lawyer, because a lot of what's happening is that by fifth grade, girls are discouraged from math and science. The girls who actually, the studies show that girls who actually do better in math than boys Mm -hmm. say that they're not good in math. And the boy who actually scores lower than she does says he's great in math. Right. And so what happens is for your listeners out there, for your participants who aren't quite sure what to do, I think the moral of the story really is you've got to go with what you want and If you're pushed back, you still need to push forward to find your dreams. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was one data point that you mentioned, and I'm going to get it wrong, but you can correct me, that spoke to the point you mentioned. uh, I think it was you, Al, who said something around the entrance in those professions, right? And I think this data point spoke to both entrance as well as people who may seek a promotion, which was, I think it was something around men who want that next promotion or job if they have 60% of the skills, they'll apply for it. Right. I think or so, but women, women feel like they have to have like 90% or so of the skills. Yeah. Right. 110. So men's like, if I got six out of 10, right. I'm I'm going to apply. I'm going to apply. I'm going to go in. I'm going to interview. I'm going to go through the process. See if I can get it. Women feel like they have to have 100% or more. Absolutely. And so basically the advice that we give to women is raise your hand. And don't be afraid to take on challenges. The way that we all grow and learn and can improve in our professional careers, our life journey is to take risks. Yeah. And, you know, it goes back to that old saying, perfection is the enemy of the good. When we expect to check all the boxes, Mm. we hold ourselves back and we have to recognize that getting those boxes checked may be part of that application process. It may follow when we get there. It may be something that we can learn. And so the important point here is that we not think about ourselves, whether we're men or women, 
not think about ourselves as fixed, not think about ourselves as that's the way I am. I'm not going to be any better. I'm not going to be any smarter. I'm not going to be any more competent. I'm not going to be a better speaker. But to recognize that it's the process by which we push ourselves that we do not just advance, but get better. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, Andy, the story you told where a person gave you that advice, right? And I know there's a nugget in there, too, of the person said, you know, lawyers could be successful and happy, but lady lawyers cannot be both, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Did yeah. you push back in, in terms of what's the underlying premise, right? What's the thinking behind that statement? Well, at the time, I just thought that there was no way I was going to have lunch with him again. Right. And you can bet I never turned back to him for any career advice. But the reality is that the stereotypes are, the expectations are that women are supposed to be devoted to family and children. And yes, we are. And we can love our families and love our children and still love our jobs. Right. And that's something that is, has historically been sort of allowed to men and assumed that that wouldn't work for women. Mm -hmm. In our book, we devoted a whole chapter to work in the rest of your life, basically, where we talked about there's no such thing as a work-life balance where there's some cosmic scale where you put work on one side and life on the other. Right. Uh, but that work and life really ebb and flow and change over time. We have 100% of our life that we can give and sometimes we'll give more to uh, a family member, and sometimes we give more to a project that's due. Um, and so there's this ebb and flow. But the problem that women face is that because our workplaces are so male-dominated, male values, male norms, masculine culture, there's an expectation that work and family are two totally separate spheres. Yeah. And for women, that's just not the case, because even in today's most equal relationships, women are the ones who are expected to do more of the household stuff and are the ones who are expected to do more with the children. Right. There's another term you mentioned, too. I don't want it to be lost on the audience. I forget the phrase. I think you career, male career. Yeah. Mask, we actually refer to that as a gendered workplace, it, which is where masculine values, cultures, and norms are considered to be the way that the organization operates. As well as certain careers that tend to look more male. Yes. Dominated, more like masculine. you talk about the engineers mm -hmm. and such. Yep, got it, got it. So with all that, any other any other data points that you feel like people need to, to get their minds around before we start to shift into some of your recommendations that you often give people? Well, you touched on, or Andy touched on, the data point that women are expected to do more domestic tasks than men. Mm -hmm. We try to push back on that a little bit, that, or maybe more, a, more a than bit. a little bit. <laughs> that, but in fact, that is the fact, the case, and it's very detrimental and makes the competition between men and women for career advancement decidedly unequal because the men don't have to worry about getting children to the doctor or getting the laundry done or food on the table. Then they've got more time, uh, untroubled time, focus on their careers. And so what we try to do is advise women as to how they can 
talk with their partners, they can find a better way to achieve an equality of distribution of domestic chores so that they are not disadvantaged in their career opportunities. And one follow-up to that, James, is that fathers, when they take um, uh, care of their children, should not be referring to it as babysitting Mm. because they're not babysitters, they're parental units. And so what we need to do is we really need to change the conversation, change the language to make it clear that it's not like they're doing a service that they should, that babysitting, they're actually parenting. Nor the mother referring to the father as the babysitter. Right. Although I don't know any woman who says I'm babysitting my children. No, no. I'm saying when a mother takes, uh, you know, sometimes when families are split and the mother takes them to the father, it's not that the the father's babysitting that right. weekend. Right? Exactly. It's, it's his yeah. and he's parenting. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So now starting to shift towards, you know, people who are listening, pencils ready going, okay, so this is interesting. Acknowledge. think I may have felt some of this before, or again, I'm new coming into my career. What's some of the advice that you give? And maybe starting with the person who's been at it for a while, maybe it felt it, maybe it has not been in their face per se. Uh, but what, what, what advice do you typically highlight for folks? Well, for that person that's been in a career for a while, very often women will develop the notion that if they just keep their head down, do their work, turn out an excellent product, they're going to get ahead. Well, mm. what they have to recognize is that ain't so. People have to notice you. People have to recognize that you are an important person. And this goes back to what Andy was talking about before. It goes back to getting out from behind that modesty veil because women have got to learn to self-promote. They can't go around bragging, but they can raise their hand. They can make it known what they've done. They can, when the opportunity presents itself, they can display their potential. They can let it be known that they want to lead so that for those women that may be in careers stalled, we say, look at yourself. Are you raising your hand? Are you letting people know just how talented you are? Are you letting people know? what you've accomplished. Right. That's good. In our book, we really divide the book into two parts. One is conversations with yourself and the other is conversations with other people. And I think Al really just touched on the conversation with yourself side, which is that, you know, we, we're driving the train of our own career, whatever that journey is going to be. And it's really up to us to let other people know what it is we want what it is we dream for and what it is we have mm-hmm. accomplished. So there is a burden on us to do that. And very often women, because by the time we're three, four years old, we're being told, don't get your dress dirty, don't tear your tights, be a good girl. <laughs> that it's very, it's much harder for women in the workplace to um, feel like they're acting out of stereotype because we've been trained and socialized to don't worry, don't bother that other person, be, be a good girl. And boys obviously are not socialized the same way. Yeah. 
That's good. So for the person in the workplace, so that's one, right? I love that expression, get from behind the modesty veil. Now, once they get from behind the modesty veil, they persistently, uh, consistently and persistently rather put forth their value proposition as so clear, right? But let's say that doesn't work. They don't get the just rewards and such. They come back to you. Then what do you say? That's where we've got to focus on the conversations with others. It's going to be, what is it that you're doing? How are you communicating? How are you presenting yourself? And what we find is that while women can attempt to self-promote, very often they will do so in by overcompensating, by becoming aggressive, by becoming very in-your-face. They will become very demanding. And what we try to convey is that the route to success for women is a very combination, a balancing of what are called communal characteristics and agendic characteristics. Communal characteristics, the kind, caring, sweet, nice characteristic, the agentic, the dominant, forceful, independent leadership characteristic. Women need to combine those qualities so that people don't see them as either too soft, too communal, or too hard, too agentic. And what we've got is lots of advice as to how those characteristics can be combined to present yourself in ways that avoid or overcome the biases and the prejudice that people often have against women leaders. We call that the Goldilocks dilemma, which is that women are very often viewed as either too hard or too soft, but rarely just right. Yeah. And not to make anybody who's listening be discouraged, it turns out that we all have communal anagenic characteristics. It's like a closet full of clothes where if we're going to the beach, we're going to pull out something different than if we're going to a formal dinner. And so what we find is that by balancing the agentic or communal, by dialing up the agentic if needed or dialing up the communal if needed, that what we can do is be more successful. And there's a very interesting study that we talk about in a couple of places in our book, which tracked women and men who had graduated from a very prestigious MBA program in the United States and they tracked them for eight years. And what they found was that the women who could balance communal and agenic characteristics made more money, had more promotions, and seemed more to be more successful mm. than everybody else, including all the men. And that if we looked at the hierarchy, the rankings, basically, at the very top were the women who could balance communal and agenic. Underneath them were agentic men. Then underneath them were communal men. Then underneath that was communal women, and at the very bottom was agentic women. Mm. So that women who behave out of the gender stereotypes, out of the communal stereotypes, are the ones that get punished the most career-wise. Well, for the listeners, we'll never be able to unpack the nuggets in this book. Let me be very clear about that, because 
Al and Andy do such a great job to the point of part one and part two, communicating with yourself versus communicating with others and then going into a lot of the data, then the techniques and stories that help give you some context, right? The stories to me help give context of the problems and then the techniques and application, right? And so I would encourage you to get this because the points that Andy just talked about are really well explained in the book with also examples of what it looks like in action, right? So the way you may want to communicate and how it's perceived is also played through in some ways in the book as well, right? So if you've ever been in sales, right, we always say it's not what you say, it's what they hear, right? And so it's so true here and what Andy just talked about. Absolutely right. You know, one of the points in working your way through the book is that it can be overwhelming. You can feel like, oh, I, I can't do this and then just walk away from it. So what we tried to do is each chapter, we have key takeaways, things mm-hmm. that people can actually build. And the trick, I think, of what we tried to accomplish was that none of the techniques that we recommend, none of the ways that you can strengthen your communication skills, none of this is innate. None of it is what you're born with. Every person can shape how they interact with other people so that we all have an opportunity to do better if we feel that we're not accomplishing what we want to accomplish. Absolutely. So now we talked about the person who's been in their career for a while. So now the new person, you know, and and this is great, great timing, right? They may have just finished their first internship and or whatever. And now they're saying, oh, come along, take the full time job. Right. And they're just beaming or they have those mixed emotions of, yeah, great internship and I'm ready to go or okay internship, but something didn't feel quite right. Right. What what advice do you give them in terms of finding the right place to work? What are some of the things I should be looking out for to make sure it's an environment that's going to be not just welcoming to me, but that I can grow and advance in? Right. And to your point that you started with, Al, that's a meritocracy in action. Yes. Well, first thing we want those entry level people to be aware of is that the studies show that when women enter the workplace, They are just as ambitious, just as competitive, just as talented as their male counterparts. Hmm. But that after about two years, the women's ambition begins to sag, their desire for leadership positions drops, and their belief in their cell, in themselves, plummets. And so the advice that we give is, You've got to understand why that's happening to other women and what you can do not to let it happen to you. And what that means is that you need to understand that regardless of where you go, regardless of what that industry is or what that business is, there are going to be gender bias. There are going to be hurdles that you as a woman are going to encounter that the men don't. And so we try to make clear to those entry-level people what those hurdles are, what the obstacles are going to be, and to prepare them to overcome them or avoid them. Because I think Andy's very fond of saying knowledge is power. So for those entry-level people, knowledge is the most important thing they can have. Now, they need to have communication techniques. They need to be uh, sensitive to the impressions that they're making on other people. But the very first thing they need is 
a realistic appraisal of what they're going to encounter as they proceed in their careers. That's good. And, you know, one of the, the big things I would underline, as you just said, is basically every employer is going to have a piece of this, right? It's almost unavoidable. So to think you can walk into some place and not have to own some of this work, right, of making it a uh, a great environment for yourself is a misnomer. Absolutely. One of the things as well is that failure is not failure. Failure is a learning experience. Mm. And if it's the wrong place and it isn't the right opportunity, then don't view it as a death sentence. Mm. Figure out how to move on. But there's a lot of things that can be done before you reach that conclusion. But some of it is understanding that as we grow in our careers, that we're learning and we can learn from things that don't work out perfect for us. Yeah, that's good. Great advice. For both the uh, the tenured and the newbie. Yes, exactly. So, um, so I hope that's helpful for folks listening. So on a lighter note, um, as we begin to, to wrap up a little bit, what's one thing you can share with my audience that when people, they pick up the book and again, they see all your wonderful accolades and the things you're doing as well as your other books, they're going to probably think you guys are so uh, serious and everything. I always ask, what's one thing that people may not know about you? Well, we have, um, in addition to a daughter who's a, a medical doctor now, we have four dogs and four cats. And I mention that because I think that doggy daycare has arrived because I'm hearing <laughs> calling in the background. So there may be some barking. That's hopefully we'll stay home, but we enjoy, uh, we enjoy our family. We enjoy our work and we enjoy our pets. Four and four. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Rescue all rescues. Gotcha. Awesome. All rescue. Oh, wonderful. Yep. yep. All rescues. Wonderful. The last question I'll ask you guys, and this is, I think I probably know where you're going to head when I ask you this. If you were able to give your uh, 20 year old self some advice, go back and do that. What would you tell them? I would say not, not to be too serious. Mm. A sense of humor can go a long way. And I've got mm. um, one dog. I have to move out here to get to, he's on his way now. No so. problem. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I figured I should warn you, but uh, I love it. He, he was, he's the sleepy one. He was laying on a chair no <laughs> in going to daycare. What I have to work. I have to play. Exactly. I don't know. So having a sense of humor is something that I would, my 20 year old self. Okay. Uh, and uh, I'm sure Al has something brilliant to say, but it, he has to make sure the dog's down the stairs, I think, exactly. before he comes back. What would you tell your 20-year-old self, Al? I would tell my 20-year-old self to not be so self-focused, to recognize mm. that quite being a white man from a upper-middle-class family with a great education doesn't mean that, that I'm just like everybody else. I got to recognize that I'm going into the workplace with a lot of privileges that other people don't have. And so I would tell that 20-year-old self to stop being so self-centered, to focus on other people who may be not nearly as advantaged as I was, that I need to be more aware that other people may need a hand up that I didn't need. And I would find that I could have been as a 20 year old, far more understanding and helpful to my coworkers than I think in retrospect I was. That's good. 
That's good. Well, thank you both for uh, taking the time to be here. I want to recap some of the points we discussed uh, for the audience. You guys know I love to try to give you a quick recap. So, so here's what I would take away, guys. One, the data is overwhelmingly convincing in terms of the challenges in the workplaces. One of the things we talked about is that, one, meritocracy does not exist in the workplaces today. It takes work to get it there, and, and but it's achievable, and it takes you to get, get behind to get some work done. A couple of examples we talked about was this notion that uh, men are willing to, with six-tenths of the skill set, apply for jobs and apply for promotions, so on and so forth. Women need to feel like they have 100%. On the opposite side of that is the recommendation to come from behind the modesty veil. I love that term uh, that they use, right? So come from behind that veil, women, and put yourself in front of folks and get yourself out there. And that's in their part where they talk about communicating with yourself. The second thing is to communicate with others, right, as a part of the recommendation. So look out for that Goldilocks dilemma, right? Finding the right balance to communicate with others. And there's a lot of nuggets within the book. So I'm going to advise that you pick up the book. Uh, Again, if you need the title of the book, let me say it slowly for you. Breaking Through Bias, Communication Techniques for Women to Succeed at Work. And it will be uh, in the podcast show notes along with the link to get it. Okay. last but not least was the recommendation for newbies going into the work environment. The same principles apply again, not pervasive or exclusive to any individual industry or profession. Some may be more deeper than others because those are male dominated roles today. But no matter where you go, you're going to encounter these things. So learn the techniques as you go into it and don't see it as something limiting to yourself, but seen as an opportunity to drive change for yourself and others. Uh, So hopefully you enjoyed Andy and Al as much as I did. Again, thank you guys for uh, being patient as we were working on scheduling, but so enjoyed having you here today. Well, we certainly enjoyed having the conversation with you, James. And appreciate uh, being here. So um, thank you for including us. Absolutely. Thank you.